I like that version. That is cool. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to worship. Are you here for that reason? I hope so. Yeah. Hey, we want to welcome you, especially if you're new here. So glad that you're visiting with us today. And directly after the service, I'd love to have the opportunity to meet you. Um, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. My name is Mike. I'll be over there underneath the monitor and uh, directly after the service to maybe tell you more about how you can get connected here and grow spiritually. Hey, say hi to somebody. Would you welcome somebody around you this morning? Good morning. I understand this upcoming Sunday something's going on. What was that again? Oh yeah, Easter. <laughs> Biggest week of the year for me, right? Hey, um, so we want to invite you to come, first of all, to Friday night's uh, Good Friday service. Good Friday is a, just a wonderful time to get together as a church family, and we just have a very simple but powerful service planned, and uh, it's at 7 o'clock on Friday night really gives us an opportunity to reflect on the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us as we head into the Easter time when we really celebrate that resurrection. Well, I don't know about you, but um, there are a lot of people that have doubts today. A lot of people that have doubts that maybe stem from uh, prayers that were never answered or from things that happened in life or maybe just even wondering about God himself. And this Easter, that is what I'm going to talk about openly and honestly about that subject of doubt. And uh, we're going to talk about that, unpack that a bit. And, and so this is a perfect time to bring your friends with you, bring family members and friends, maybe people that you know have struggled with that or are struggling. And honestly, we all do struggle at times with doubt. And so it's something that's very real in our lives. And uh, Easter is going to be a great time to talk about that in addition to the hope that we have in Jesus. So make sure and use those invite cards that are on the chair to bring somebody with you uh, or uh, share the link that I put out there. I have a video out there, uh, just a brief invitation link on Facebook. Um, meet them here, sit with them, maybe even go after service and eat with them. And uh, who knows, God may change their, their life through that invitation. So. Let's be bold in our faith this week, okay? Well, let's stand up together. And today is something that in the church calendar is called Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is that, that week before Easter where Jesus was coming down into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry, which ended in, that, in his decision to go to the cross and, uh, and pay for our sins. And when he was coming into Jerusalem, and all of the people were shouting and they were praising, they were worshiping. Uh, I don't even know if they knew why, but they were laying their coats out on the ground and out on the road that he was coming in on, sitting on a, on a donkey, on a colt. And, uh, and they were taking palm branches and laying them out there like you would a red carpet for a king. And they were shouting at the top of their lungs, Hosanna, and it means save us. Save us, God. Save us. And, and that's exactly what Jesus came to do. And so as we worship him today, let's let that same, that same refrain come from our hearts as we say, God, we're here. We're here to declare you're our king. We're here to say, Lord, you're our savior. Let's worship him.
to you in this moment, God. We thank you for all the blessings that you pour into our lives, Lord, and I pray that we would all um, just lay our worries and our fears and our lives down at your feet, God, knowing that you have trustworthy hands and we can just place our heart in them and they'll take care of us, Lord. I sing there's nothing worth more.
Jesus came, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Jesus brings freedom. His spirit, the Bible tells us wherever his spirit is there, he brings freedom and liberty we get stuck in life, don't we? Stuck in worry and fear. We get stuck in hopelessness, in addiction. And God is proclaiming to us this morning that I've come to bring freedom to you. 
You are destined for freedom, not for failure. You are destined for liberty, not for captivity. Will you declare that by faith over your own life this morning? And just turn to God. Turn to Him this morning. Whatever it is that you've been struggling in some area of, of captivity, where you just can't break out of it, you turn to him and give that to him this morning and receive a freedom, freedom that he gives. Let's pray. God, I'm giving you this area of captivity in my life. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, not in my own strength, because I've failed a million times in my own strength, but Lord, I'm asking, bring the power of your spirit to bear in this area to bring freedom to my life. I declare it, Lord. You proclaimed it, and now I declare it by faith. It hasn't happened yet, but Lord, I'm praying as I turn to you that you will begin to work that out in my life and bring a freedom, bring a liberty. Thank you that you've called us to that as your people. We receive it this morning. Feel free to have a seat. Would you continue to pray and bring your request to God in this time? God, we bring all of these thoughts and prayers and needs before you, asking for your hand to be at work, asking for your touch to be in our life, praying, God, that you would uh, empower us to be conduits of your love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, uh, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings here uh, in just a moment, so we always like to say, hey, for those of you uh, who give and contribute so regularly. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you for carrying kind of the work forward. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing. Maybe you're one of the ones who uh, joins with us uh, and views our services online and makes use of kind of text to give or online giving. There are a lot of different ways to give, but what they all hold in common is this. This is the way we bring our worship to the Lord, and, and what we bring is an expression of who we are. We say, God, we belong to you, and we exist for the accomplishing of your purposes and that's what our offering is about. And so uh, I'm going to ask you uh, this morning just to join with me in prayer because what we really want to see is uh, something happen when we give for God to translate our giving into lives that are dynamically impacted for God's glory. So Heavenly Father, uh, what we are about to bring to you represents us. It represents your provision for our lives and it represents our desire to be used by you to accomplish your purposes. 
It represents the way we submit all of our life to you. And God, as we do that, we want to ask this morning that you would do something miraculous, that you would transform these gifts that we bring, these offerings that we make. God, that you would multiply them and expand their impact, God, so that here in the city of Spokane and, uh, and around the world, your name would be magnified. Your glory uh, would be made known. God, would you do great things through what we bring today in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers can come on forward, they'll receive the offering. As they do, just going to highlight we're back kind of in our series where we're talking about these seven sayings of Jesus from the book of John. They're collectively referred to as the I am sayings. And they're these ways by which Jesus described over the course of his ministry who he was and what was important about that. And today we get to um, talk about one of those I am sayings, which is kind of uncomfortable and it's a little bit awkward. And sometimes when you talk about it, you have the feeling, man, if I start talking about how Jesus is the only way, the room's going to get really quiet and people are going to be uncomfortable. Have you, ever, have you ever been that person who unintentionally said something and then the whole room went quiet and awkward and uncomfortable? There was, um, there was a time a few years ago when I gradu- had just graduated from college. Okay, you got me. A few decades ago when I had just graduated from college. I was dating this girl, and the relationship had got to the point where it was time to meet her family. And uh, so I was going over to meet her family for the big family dinner. And she was kind of like giving me the rundown so that I would know what was what. And she reminded me uh, that her father was right in the middle of battling uh, with Alzheimer's disease. And he had been for a number of years. And the way she described it, you know, he had some good days and he had some bad days. And you kind of never knew which kind of day it was going to be till you got there. So she just wanted me to know. And I said, okay, I can deal with that. So we get there and meeting the family and talking to everyone. And it turns out that this is one of dad's good days, which is a great thing. So while we're all sitting around the table and I'm just thinking, hey, I'd love to interact with him a little bit here if I can. And so I said the first thing that came to mind, this thing um, that this girl and I had been talking about before, I looked across the table at her dad and I said, so hey, I hear the whole family is taking a trip to Italy in a couple of weeks. And every piece of conversation in the room stopped. There was this hideous atrocious, all-encompassing, awkward silence. And I watched as his face, her dad's face, went from uh, confusion to betrayal. And he made a point to look with that look of betrayal at every individual around the table before he stood up and walked out of the room in rage. And in that moment, I realized two things. I realized, first of all, that the family had not told Dad about the vacation and that they were using it as a chance to get away from being underneath the burden of caring for him all the time and that it had been a secret up to that moment. The second thing I realized was that this relationship was not going to work out. (laughs) And I was right on both counts. There's that moment when the thing that you say is just so socially awkward that nobody wants to talk and nobody wants to talk about it, right? And Jesus' claims that he is the only way to God, that he is the way and the truth and the life are claims that are kind of like that. We feel like maybe like within church it's a safe thing to talk about because we kind of come together and we gather around what we believe and hold in common, but, but that that topic outside of the church is like this landmine that we dare not uh, step in. We're talking about Jesus' declaration that he is the way, the truth, the life, and that no one comes to him, uh, or no one comes to the Father except through him. And we get this from John chapter 14. It's this passage in scripture uh, where just bef- uh, at the end of his ministry, he's meeting with the disciples one last time, and he's, he starts talking to them about the fact that he's gonna die. He's gonna leave them and go to heaven and prepare a place for him. And that's where we pick up Uh, in the scriptures today in John chapter 14. Jesus says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. And you know the way to the place where I am going, Jesus says. And Thomas says to him, Lord, 
we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And that's when Jesus answers. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to pause and just ask you, how does that passage strike you? If, if you've been around church and Christian faith a long time, it maybe doesn't strike you as so difficult or so awkward. Um, but if you're newer to the church, perhaps it does. Maybe a different question would be not so much how does it strike you, but how do you, how do you, how do you envision yourself feeling when you take that particular statement of Jesus' teachings and share it with those who don't know Jesus and who aren't Christians and who don't share your faith? There's an uncom- a discomfort about that, uh, and, uh, and it's very palpably real. And for some, that statement, that no one comes to the Father except through me, there are some for whom th- their response to that just rings almost with a sense of betrayal. We'd say, wait, wait a minute, I've been hearing all along about this Jesus who loves everybody. This Jesus says, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done, I love you and care for you and want to bring saving uh, and salvation to you. What's this bit about there's only one way? What about all those people who are seeking for God outside of the Christian faith? For others, there may actually be a kind of sense of anger or rage about this. The sense that, man, Christians must be so arrogant to think that theirs is the only way, to think that there's no other way to reach God. How dare you suggest that Christianity is the only acceptable path to God? Isn't it true? Don't, don't all religions, don't most religions, or at least lots of religions, make the claim that they can provide some kind of pathway to God, that what they endorse and what they support and what they teach will lead to God? And the answer is, yeah, lots of religions and lots of faiths and lots of philosophies make that claim. But if we really want to understand Jesus' statement here, if we want to understand where this very core doctrine of Christian faith comes from, we have to look even further. Because when Jesus says, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the life and nobody comes to God the Father except through me, he doesn't stop there. He goes on, and he doesn't just stop with saying that's how it is. He actually goes a little bit further and and demonstrates why it is that he says what he does. He goes on to say this. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and from now on, you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you? For such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. The reason Jesus says no man comes to the Father except through me is that Jesus is making this claim that he and the Father are one. Jesus' claim to be the only way is really just an extension of a much more significant and frankly a much more audacious claim that he makes, and that is that he, Jesus, is God in human flesh. And there is lots, there's a lot of overlap between religions and between faith systems and between philosophies. There are a lot of different groups that teach many of the same things. But where Jesus stands out as unique amongst all of those is this. He makes the claim to literally be God in human flesh, a claim that others are not making. And there's no question about this. I run across from time to time people who say, well, that, Jesus never actually claimed to be God, and I just need to say that's false. It's untrue. John begins his narrative of Jesus' life, and he says, in the beginning was the Word. That's that's what he uses as his label uh, for Jesus, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. And nothing came into being apart from his activity. That's the beginning of John's message, and then the rest of his gospel goes on to clarify that. But along the way, we see Jesus doing things that it's only a appropriate and only possible for God to do. Like along the way, he looks at people and he says, your sins are forgiven, which makes sense if you're God, but which is meaningless if you're not. In fact, it's blasphemous if you're not. In other cases, it's Palm Sunday, right? The the crowds gathered together as Jesus rode into Jerusalem and they worshiped him. 
And he didn't say, hey, hold on, I'm just a man. Only worship belongs to God himself, not me. No, he received their worship, and he wouldn't back down. We're familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? These commandments that were written by the hand of God himself on the stone. The expression of who God is and how he asks us to live. One of those commandments is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That's commandment number four. And one Sabbath day when Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields, the disciples get hungry, they pick some stray uh, kernels of wheat off the grain, and they eat it. And in the custom and tradition of the day, that was considered work, which was forbidden on the Sabbath, and everyone got all up in arms and said, Jesus, your disciples are working on the Sabbath. They're violating this holy fourth commandment that comes from God himself. What are you going to do about it? And Jesus says the most remarkable thing. Oh yeah, those, that commandment, the fourth, that's my commandment. I wrote that. And I have the right to revoke that anytime I want. Really? Now as parents, we resonate with this, right? We understand, we make rules, and then there comes that moment when we have the right to go, yeah, that rule's not in play right now. <laughs> right? That's what Jesus is saying. That's my rule. I created the Sabbath. And so I can say when that particular rule doesn't apply anymore. He, he's saying, I'm God, I'm the one that gave that commandment. And finally, in John 10.30, he utters these word, words, I and the Father are one. It's clear throughout Jesus' life and his ministry and all records of that, that what Jesus was teaching was that he was, in fact, God in human flesh. And his enemies understood that. I mean, the reason that the, the religious leaders wanted him put to death was because this man claims that he is God, and we don't believe he is. And if he claims to be God, but he isn't, then he deserves to be put to death, and that's what we're demanding. But they were not unclear about his claims to be God himself. Jesus made the claims, and he backed them up with the miracles. His enemies understood the claims and made their plans to kill him. His followers understood those claims as well, and they stood by them. Uh, all the way to their own deaths. See, Jesus claimed, and Christianity has always taught, that Jesus is God. Now, about that claim, Jesus is God. We got two options open for us, right? That is either correct or it's incorrect. And if Jesus' claim to be God is incorrect, if he's not in fact God, then his statement that no man comes to the Father except by me, I am the way, the truth, and the life, if he's not God, then that's a false claim, and it's not one that we have to put up with. But if he's correct, if when he says, I am God, he's accurate, he's truthful, that he speaks reality, if that's in fact the case, then his claim to be the way and the truth and the life makes perfect sense. Because you can't get to God without Jesus precisely because Jesus is God. And any path that does lead to God automatically leads to Jesus because Jesus is the God that it leads to. And so in many ways, this whole issue, uncomfortable though it may be, comes down to the question that Jesus one time asked of his disciples. He'd been asking his disciples, hey, there's a lot of talk out there. People have a lot of different ideas. Who do people say that I am? And the disciples kind of ran through the catalog of different ideas that people had about Jesus. Some say he's Elijah returned from the dead. Some say he's John the Baptist. Some say he's a good teacher or a prophet or whatever. And in that, in that case, I mean, that's not a lot different than what we hear if you just went to did a man-on-the-street interview today, interview today about who Jesus is. You'd get a variety of answers, ranging from uh, from people who believe that he absolutely is the Son of God, to people who believe he's just a good moral teacher, an influential philosopher, someone with a few great ideas. Jesus asked his disciples, well, who does everyone say that I am? He went through the answers, and then he looked and said, but you, who do you say that I am? And suddenly it was not an abstract conversation about theological and philosophical possibilities. Suddenly it was very personal. And Peter was the one who took up the thread and he answered that question. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one that, the God, that God has promised to us. I believe that you are God. 
And, and this morning, I just, I want to ask that same question of you. Regardless of the various voices that are out there in our world and society and our culture, whatever voices may represent kind of your family background and your history and your particular journey, regardless of what others say about who Jesus is, I want to ask you that question. Who, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you believe him to be? I think one of the difficulties is this. Too often, instead of answering that question directly, who do you say Jesus is, we just kind of loosely identify with him. Kind of the way we would with a political party. Any political party, right? I'm not picking on one side or the other or anyone in between. But typically, we would say of whatever party that we're a part of, right, we would say, you know, I don't really agree with everything that they stand for. In fact, there are a few specific things that I disagree with, but on the whole, I kind of like their approach better than this other approach, and so I'm with them. And I think that can work in terms of affiliation with a political party. But it's problematic when we carry that over and say, that's how I affiliate myself with Jesus as well. Probably gonna answer, I'm not going to answer the question about who do I say that he is. I'm just going to say that, sure, I agree with a lot of what he says, there's some specific places maybe I don't like what he says, but on the average, on the whole, I think I like Christianity better than other, some of the other solutions that are out there. And the problem is that's not really an option that Jesus left open for us. And so I'm asking you, who do you say that Jesus is? Now, let me be real clear. Um, there is a time to investigate and to explore and to be learning about who Jesus is and what he taught. And if you, in your particular journey, you're at this spot where maybe you're not a believer yet, maybe you haven't come to a point of saying, I'm all in where Jesus is concerned, maybe you're in that stage where you're still just looking into it, still kind of exploring and, and learning what the Bible says and what Christ taught and how to follow him and things like that. And I want to say that's fantastic. Keep going. What I'm about to say probably doesn't apply to you. But I'm actually wanting to talk a little more to people who have been around for a while. And the issue is not that you're unclear about what Jesus said. You're not questioning what it is that he actually taught or wondering what it is that he really claimed. The real issue is, are you ready to acknowledge it and to embrace it and follow him in faith? To live a life that's based on Jesus' teaching entirely and 100%. I want to speak to those who maybe for a period of time, maybe brief or maybe long, have really tried to have it both ways, walking both sides of the fence. On the one hand, affiliating yourself with Jesus and God's work, but on the other hand, reserving the right to kind of pick and choose which things you agree with and which things you don't. I had a very wise friend in middle school who said that when you try to walk both sides of the fence, there is only one inevitable result. Eventually you will fall and wind up with a very pointy stick in a very uncomfortable place. <laughs> Why am I passionate about this? Why do I care? Why do I care what you say about who Jesus is? I'm passionate because when I look around a lot of times, I see people having the same success in their spiritual life that I have in my dieting life. And for pretty much the same reason. Oh yeah, I'm on a diet. I'm on a diet 24-7. I take a few 15-20 minute snack breaks along the way, but basically I'm on a diet. Sure I'm on a diet, up until I'm hungry. Oh yeah, I am counting carbs. Right up to the point that they bring out the breadsticks and then all bets are off, right? Sure I'm on a diet, until I see something delicious. Well we all know, guess what, right? I'm not really on a diet. And then the results of that speak for themselves. Soft, unhealthy, and weak. Sure, I follow Jesus. Of course I do. Up until the point that I don't like it very much. Sure, I believe in Jesus and his teachings. Right up to the point where I disagree with them. That's where the belief stops. Sure, I'm a follower of Jesus, at least all the way up until the point where it's unpopular, and then things get a little shady. Guess what? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. 
And my passion comes from the fact that if that's the case, the results are going to speak for themselves. Soft, lazy, unhealthy. You see, I know from long experience it's possible to be around church, to be around Christianity for decades and never really wrestle through to the core question that must be answered, that question of who do you say that Jesus is? If, if you come down on the side that Jesus is who he says he is, God in human flesh, then the statement, no man comes to the Father except by me, makes sense. Any potential road that leads to God necessarily needs to Jesus, leads to Jesus because Jesus is God. And any road that is not leading you to Jesus is not, in fact, a road to God. What about all those other roads? What about all those other people? What about all those other faith systems? I simply want to say this. I want to make this really clear. God can lead us to him and Jesus by any path he chooses, right? It's not so much how God gets us there. It's that when we get there, what we find is that God and Jesus are one. My path to coming to that point was not one that I would necessarily recommend for everybody. A lot of it actually started, I grew up in a home that was kind of Christianian, churchy and stuff like that, but I was walking home from school as a middle schooler when this guy joins up with me and my friend and says, hey, guys, my brother has a pound of weed at home. Do you want to come home and smoke out? And I said no, not because I was like particularly virtuous, not because I was particularly moral, just because I was kind of confused a little bit and didn't want to get in trouble. It was cowardly fear more than anything else in the world, okay? But here's what happened. That moment of, that moment of saying no, I got home and I started asking myself, why did I say no? I, what, what, is, what is it about that situation that led me to say no? I started asking myself who I was. I started asking myself, did I say no because I really believe in God and want to please him? Did I say no because my parents said no and I don't want to be in trouble with them? Who am I really? It's like, like the whole middle school experience. Who am I? I have no idea, but I better figure out. So I started asking all of these questions, and that process of asking questions eventually led me down the road to this point where I came to the conviction that who I am is a person that Jesus loves and died for, and that I wanted to spend the rest of my life in relationship with him and on into eternity. But that conviction, that place where I arrived of conviction that Jesus is God with this plan for my life, that path started back here with some middle school drug dealer approaching me and asking me if I wanted any. That's not the, like, okay, teens, teens and adults and adults, that's not the prescribed path. That's not the way you want to get things started. That was not a path that led to God, but by God's grace, he used that path to bring me to him. And that can be true of any spiritual journey, of any spiritual path. At any point that we honestly engage and say, God, would you show me who you are? We will arrive at the place and that conviction that God has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ and makes a relationship with him available through him only. And that's at the core of what it means to be a Christian. It's the core of what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And then interestingly enough, as we've been talking about in this whole series, is when Jesus kind of makes that appeal and that invitation to the world, the Apostle Paul writes that he makes that appeal through you and me. That we're God's ambassadors. And, and Jesus' invitation into that kind of relationship he makes through you and through me to the rest of the world. And that's kind of a unique issue that we have to face, right? That we represent Jesus and want to say, and want to say hey, um, please come join the family of God. Come be a part of what God is doing. Come experience the salvation that God has for you. And simultaneously saying, this Jesus that I'm inviting you to know says that he is the only way. In order to do that effectively, one of the things that we have to do is we have to stay close to Jesus ourselves. We need to be doing the kinds of things that keep us really connected to who God is in our life, right? The, thing, the disciplines of prayer and reading the Bible and being here together in fellowship and community and hearing God's word proclaimed, all of those things, we need to stay close to him. And then we need to understand that 
what we offer to the world as we're Christ's ambassadors is, is not this sense of exclusion. I'm a Christian and you're not, therefore I believe you are excluded and enjoy hell. <laughs> that does not represent Jesus well when that's our heartbeat, right? When that's our posture and when that's our stance. What represents Jesus well is Jesus loves you and cares for you and has a life for you that is beyond your, your best imaginings. And I want to invite you into that, to come, to meet him, to know him, and to embrace him. There's an arm of open, arms open with embrace. This is the way that we greet the world. The way that we greet the world that already believe. The way that we greet those who come through our doors and are, and are seeking and exploring and wondering. And by the way, we greet and embrace those who stand in absolute rejection of what we believe and hold to be true. The same open-armed invite and embrace holds true. That's how we represent Jesus well. And then the third thing I would want to say in, in the how do we do that thing is this. Embrace the awkward silence that's gonna come when you share your faith and your conviction that Jesus is the only way with those who are in your life. It will be awkward. It will be uncomfortable. And it's okay. The fear, the thing that drives us is, if I do that, that awkwardness, that quiet, that silence, that yuck that's going to happen is it's going to end that relationship, just like it ended that dating relationship for me. But I want to tell you about another conversation that I had. It was difficult and it was awkward, and there were some long moments of silence there as well. It was several years after the previous conversation I told you about. And the girl that I was seeing then had come over to join with uh, kind of my housemates and stuff. It was my birthday. We were celebrating me. It was wonderful. We were all having a great time. At least I was. <laughs> but I noticed partway through the evening uh, that my girlfriend didn't seem to be having a great time. There was something troubling her. There was something on her mind, and I didn't know what it was. You know, like a lot of time when something was on her mind, I knew it's because something stupid I had done, and you can identify that. This was one of those, I don't know what's going on. But I was a little upset because, hey, it's my birthday. Bad things shouldn't happen on my birthday. And so I said to myself, if I, she, I, she kind of walked through the slider out onto the patio, and I said to myself, if I go out there and ask her what's wrong, I'm going to have one of those conversations. I see the look on the face. I know what's coming. It's going to be something's wrong, something's not happy, bad things. And I don't want that on my birthday. I really wanted, because of the awkwardness of the conversation that happened, to avoid it altogether. But I went out anyway, and I said, hey, what's going on? Is everything okay? And in the course of that conversation, this girl opened up her heart to me and um, trusted me with a sense of things that were going on and where her heart was. And she let me know what she was feeling, what she was thinking, and what she was fearing, and why all of this was troubling to her. And somewhere in the middle of all that, my heart opened up to her all the more. And by the time that conversation was underway, I realized that that was a conversation that I didn't want to stop for the rest of my life. It's a conversation I wanted to have until the day that I died. And that conversation that I got to have with Rochelle, my wife, on that day was initially very threatening, very intimidating, and fraught with peril. But it, it, uh, it produced a conversation and a relationship which is far and away the most, most important human relationship in my life. I want to suggest to you that you have relationships with people where talking about Jesus feels very awkward and uncomfortable and will lead to some silence. But if you will engage that conversation lovingly, hearts will open up and you will hope and you will quite possibly connect people to a relationship with God that will be the very most important relationship for the rest of their life and into eternity, but it takes sometimes a very courageous step on our part as a first step in that. Embrace the awkward. Step into those conversations and love those while you have those conversations. I want to invite you here as we close just to pray with me for a minute, if you would. And one of the things, if, uh, as we're just in a kind of quiet and reflective prayerful place. I've spoken quite a bit today about Jesus' claim that he is God and that he is the way to the Father. 
And I haven't really done a lot of arguing or convincing and presenting evidence. I've just made the case that these are the claims that Jesus make, and, and now it's time to ask, what do you think about them? Who do you say that Jesus is? Sometimes we arrive at conclusions using our logic and our mind and our thinking. But there are other times that we're moved to conclusions by a stirring in our heart that's nothing other than the Spirit of God at work. And so maybe, and I just want to give a chance for it, maybe today as, as I've been talking, you've been feeling that stirring in your heart. That awareness that maybe you've been putting off a real sense of just personally embracing Jesus' declaration that He is God and that He is the way to the Father. And you've felt that rising up in your spirit, and I just want to give you this morning an opportunity to respond to that in a way that says, yes, I'm going to affirm that, I'm going to declare my faith, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to move forward with a life that's based on that conviction. And if that's you, I want to pray with you and for you here in just a moment. I'd love to know who I'm praying with and for. And so if that's you, and this morning, that's risen up in your heart, and you simply want to say, yep, it's time for me to declare officially that I believe what Jesus says about himself. I believe that he is God. And because of that, he has my allegiance, he has my faith, and he is my hope. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up in the air super quick and then slip it down, and then I'll go ahead and be praying in just a moment. A couple, yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Heavenly Father, you see, the, you see these hands that are raised, and they're actually hearts that are kneeling in submission to you and saying, I believe and I receive. God, you see as well the hearts that are equally moved with hands that didn't go up. And it's that reality of the heart that's most important. So God, for those of us who are coming to this moment, we just declare our faith in you, our belief that you are who you say you are, our trust that Jesus Christ is the way to eternal life and that no man comes to the Father without him. The implication, God, is that we trust you now for our salvation. We place our hope in you, and we commit ourselves to living out a life of faith that pleases you and brings glory to your name. And that's our prayer today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for that. Um, hand this out, would you? Um, invite somebody with you to Easter. Uh, a Good Friday service is for you. Come, come at 7 o'clock up here. Hey, if something during this service really struck a chord and you need some prayer, you'd like someone to pray with, we have a prayer team. They'll be right over here by this camera. Can I